Good afternoon. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. It's all things Boston this midday. We're going to be talking to the very hip Boston City Councilor Mike Ross and ask him whether he believes that Boston is driving away hip young people, that it, the city is way overregulated, that the fix is in for people with connections to the mayor, that liquor licenses are too hard to get and too expensive, the tea doesn't run late enough, bars close too early. The reason we're asking is because a new group calling itself the Future Boston Alliance believes all of those things to be true. So let's get to it. Between you and I, we've got a long list of stuff to cover here today. Welcome. Michael Russ. Well, thank you. But if I'm the hip guy you brought in, we all got problems <laughs> in this city. Let me tell you. What do you think about uh, this? Is this guy uh, Greg Selko, and he's getting he, he has been getting a lot of attention. I had him on uh, Greater Boston last night. He's the feature story in today's uh, G Magazine, the Boston Globe, and he's saying he said a couple things. He he really believes that um, that that they have to have connections here in the city in order to get anything done, including a liquor license or anything else. How do you respond to that? Well, first of all, only in Boston does a person with an opinion get uh, this much attention. I know, that's <laughs> right? true. We should all have opinions, and I think it's great. I mean, he is providing a point of view that I think is necessary and important. We should, we should work embrace with him. him. And I mean, the mayor him. is very thin-skinned. Let's face it; he's like, you know, arguing with this guy and making accusations about him and saying things. But I mean, the the, the guy wants to make Boston more fun. Well, I mean, with regard to the mayor, I mean, on one hand, you know, he's really done a good job of bringing in new young people. I mean, you know, Mitch Weiss is his uh, chief of staff. He was in his early 30s when he was hired. So, you know, on one hand, he's he's bringing in young kind of talented people. So something like this, he should absolutely embrace and meet with Greg and, yeah, and sit should. down with him and say, all right, how do we make our city better? I mean, what are the things that Greg Selko is talking about? A later tea with more access uh, to public transit. Uh, better access to cabs and taxis in our city, more restaurants, which actually brings in more restaurant uh, taxes to mm-hmm. our city uh, and creates jobs, uh, more fun. I mean, yeah, how uh, all those things are things that the city governs. You talk about having lounges, more lounges open later at night. Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, and you, there's a way to do these things, and we may not agree on everything, but so what? I mean, it's an important conversation. If there's a group out there that feels like we can do better in this area, we have to engage them and meet them where they're at because we're lucky to have them. Yeah. What about some of the accusations, though, that the city is overregulated and that the fix is in, that you got to have connections if you want to get a liquor license or, frankly, a building permit, a zoning permit, anything you want to do, you gotta have a, you got to have a fixer. Well, I mean, you know, you, you, there's good lawyers. You're mine, aren't there's you? good lawyers in every <laughs> single one of these in every single one of these areas. But the, the, I think the issue is in a city like Boston, you know, we, you know, we tend to be a little more conservative around some of the, you know, permitting of fun, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes the conclusions that we in government draw aren't necessarily the right ones. You know, it's like this is a little bit off, but it's like the cop, the police after the. Um, you know, after the the, the Bruins won uh, the Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. they did. They purposely did not dress in riot gear. They dressed in plain clothes, and that created a climate where people didn't feel the need to riot. Yeah. Sometimes the very things yeah, we yeah. think we're trying to prevent were actually causing more problems for us. So, you know, making it more easy to open restaurants and making it easier to have live music and entertainment in you know venues across the city. Actually, might I mean, take some of the steam out and allow you know kind of more fun. Well, why is a liquor license four hundred and fifty thousand dollars? That's ominous, onerous, out of reach. For I think that the problem there stems from the fact that there's not enough in the city. They're regulated at the state level, and the city only has a finite number. And we're not right. I mean, last yesterday uh, in the city council, Ayanna Presley called for a hearing to discuss this very issue. How can a you know a, a, a business owner in say Dorchester or Mattapan compete with a business owner in, say, you know, downtown when the liquor license is $450,000. It's the same no matter where you are. It de- well, it depends, but yeah, it is. I mean, these things are being sold at, you know, $400,000 and people in in the neighborhood. And so neighbor- great neighborhoods in our city, neighborhoods like Fort Hill and 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 even Mission Hill to some extent. And, and you know, like I said, Mattapan, they're going without quality restaurants for, you know, parents and adults to go have a glass of wine with their dinner and have a great gathering place. 
and that's that's hurting us and the economic. You yeah. know, I don't think that's an access issue. I think that's a numbers issue. I think we need more licenses. I think the city should have the right to control its own licenses. Of course, they should. We shouldn't have to go I didn't to the state they're house. All state related. Yeah, we have to go to them literally on bended knee to get additional licenses, and they can they can give it to us based on whatever it is they want from us. It could have nothing to do with the liquor licenses. It could say that. Well, yeah, maybe Boston will give that to you, but here's what we want first. And that's that's just – that's crazy. I mean, you know, the city should be able to govern its own future in that mm-hmm. department. So, look, all these issues have a thousand kind of – you know, they're all more complicated than they, they sound. But he, Greg Selko is right to say yeah. let's make these things better. Why I not? I think we've gone a little bit overboard with some of the regulation too. I, I've talked about this before. Some of the some of the bans and the tisk-tisk game that goes on. It's it's not you know those party bikes and things like that. It's like my gosh, you know, for a couple of weeks in the summer you can't have a party bike downtown. I mean, come on. Yeah, we're we're, we're good at banning, right? That's our <laughs> history. Are, banning it. in yes, Boston. We are ban- we that's banned what, in Boston. We're, we're trying to change that. We have some you know there's some new things happening. Speaking of banning, yeah. you, you have a good one. There's a lot of uproar in condos. You were telling me about people wanting to ban smoking. Yeah, in, you should in do condos. a show on this. This thing. is a great story. Yeah. yeah, you should do your own show on this. I mean, I don't know enough about it. I have a colleague who knows a lot about this, uh, a legal colleague, and basically, it's um, yeah. I mean, there's they're, they're saying like, welcome to your this condominium association and welcome to your new home. By the way, you can't smoke, and neither can your guests in your new in your home. <laughs> and really, and people are coming in there and they're saying, "Whoa, wait a minute! Which condo this is, is it? This is my house. Um, many. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't have many. And you know, it's not just also in you know high scale condos. This is happening in yeah. public housing. Public housing. Public, but yeah. Even when it's owned by you know, if, if you so own the condo it, association, yeah. Emily Rooney's is condo. You, yeah, your condo association passes well, but something. If, but if you go into a, a condo, if, if you're buying into that building, presumably you would know in advance what the rules were. Yeah, but at times these these rules change midstream, and you know, and then now there's litigation over this. So I, I think it's worth its own show. I mean, it's a really interesting. It is thing. a good one. It's very, it is a good yeah, one. So. And you know, anything smoking because that that brings me to my pet peeves. Because knock yourself out if you want to smoke. But do not drop the butt. It's it's crazy. I mean, I'm sure you you go down Newberry Street, Newberry and uh, the corner of Newberry and Dartmouth, and all up and down. It's like butt city. It's disgusting. Now I know cigarette butts are your new pet peeve. They are. But the old Huge. pet peeve that we had was alleys, and I came here prepared to yeah. talk oh, to you about alleys. some alleys. <laughs> and now you're telling me about cigarette butts. So yeah. I want to come back and I'll come back on okay. cigarette butts. The, by the way, the alleys <laughs> have been better. The the garbage guys. I, mean, I was noticing my alley today was just a disaster. People, you know, and, and then the garbage cutters come through and they, you know, we, stew the stuff all over the place. But for the most part, the, the the garbage guys pick it up, even if it's strewn in a thousand different places. Yeah, Capital Waste does a good job. You're in a residential alley, but yeah. there's a commercial alley. There's two of them on either side of Newberry Street where you have residents living. Yeah. And what the new issue, and it's not a new issue, but we're looking at it now. People are getting woken up in the middle of the night, yeah. two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning for commercial trash. So. Uh, Felix Arroyo, myself. Uh, oh, they're picking Marty up those Walls. big dumpsters. Yeah, at like they're four clanging, in the gi- oh. with, you know, reversing their trucks, you know, with the giant beeps. And I mean, it's waking people up. And I've I've started to talk to people who live on uh, this commercial alley, and there, you know, there's two types of people: those who sleep through it and those who don't. Yeah. And that's a so good one. We're trying to. Um, we've been meeting with all of the uh, trash haulers, all of these people <laughs> from all the different companies. We're meeting regularly with them, and we're working out. A solution, and uh, we may be able to do something on alleys now. Uh, stay tuned; I'll come back on that. All right, that's a good one. All right, I got so many stuff I want to cover. Um, the new casino, uh, the Suffolk Downs new casino, the Urban Oasis proposal that uh, Caesars uh, put forth with um, the Suffolk Downs folks today. I want to just get your initial impression of it, and where do you stand on whether all residents of the city of Boston should get to vote on this versus just Eastie and Revere. Yeah, I mean, I think just Eastie and Revere should vote on it. I mean, East Boston is forty thousand people. That's the size of that's larger than most towns in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Foxborough has fifteen thousand people, and they were going to take their own vote on just whether or not it should occur. Yeah, they in have Foxborough. fifteen thousand, or sixteen thousand, or seventeen thousand really? in Foxborough. So, East Boston is forty thousand people. So, if you're going to say, well. Let's have Hyde Park. Hyde Park is farther away than than Chelsea, then, and so should, should then, Chelsea then vote? Foxborough, practically. Or, yeah. Then Foxborough. Yeah. Then yeah. So I mean, I you know, I, I, look. But what what isn't happening I, enough, and I think needs to, is the public vetting of whether or not yeah. this is what's what's in it for Boston. That needs to happen. I mean, the council originally uh, put forward a uh, special committee that would review this, and then it's since been disbanded. That was a mistake. I think that we should have retained a, a, a public committee on this. And we should have publicly we should publicly vetted. The mayor has put forward his own 
five-member panel to advise him. Um, to their, separate from the state's gaming commission. Separate from the – yeah, to see how should Boston move forward on this. There's good people on that committee and to his credit, he's keeping it open to the public. But it's advisory and it need not be open to the public. The council should have continued and, and done this public kind of committee on what, what's in it for Boston to have casinos. Are we going to pay for the police or are they going to pay for the police? Are we going to pay for cleanup or are they going to pay for – I mean those are all issues that we could have talked about. We know, we still will and I know that you know the people in East Boston will do their fair share of doing that. But it is a citywide discussion in that regard. Whether or not it needs to be a citywide vote, I think you can make arguments either way. I, I think it should just be an mm. East Boston vote. Chip Tuttle told me yesterday though that um, they won't get any special considerations for – Liquor licenses that can be that he can you know keep his bars and restaurants open later. He says they're all going to have to go by the same rules. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting one. I, I know that Dave Andelman's out there with his um, you know restaurant uh, lobbying organization, and they were concerned to say that yeah. someone else is going. It's it's a good point. Yeah, you know because then what happens? Then we start driving people out of our quality. Well, restaurants. he claims that, that that they're not going to get any special consideration. Yeah. So we'll see whether that happens. Yeah. What else you got on your list? Um. Well, I don't know. I mean, we had casinos with alleys. All right, I got another one. All right, that NSTAR report that yeah. came out earlier this week that they they can't find out what happened. They don't why, know what went wrong. Why, why why the city went dark for four days? And by the way, people have to stop using that twenty one thousand figure because that is flat out bogus. They're counting Neiman Marcus as one customer. Mm-hmm. They're counting a restaurant as one customer. It right. affected hundreds of thousands. So I'm the same. My condo is the same as Neiman Marcus. That is baloney. The second time this thing went out, yeah, within on a May period 4th, of six weeks, by the on way, on May fourth, yeah. I was happened to be downtown when it went out. There were twenty one thousand people standing on the street, you know, with their head, you know, their phones glued to their ear, saying, "My gosh, it's happened again." Mm-hmm. So for them to say. That it was only twenty one thousand is bogus. On yeah, its I, you know, for, well, a couple of things. First of all, how great is Boston? No looting, no issues. Our police are there. I mean, there's we have a great city. I mean, only in city in in Boston can the entire downtown shut down twice in in, oh, in six weeks in the middle of the day. Nothing. You're and, right. And everyone's it was good. Great. That was good. But then, you know, how does NSTAR get away with this? Yeah, how? You know, they they have it's ridiculous. You know that. They wouldn't recompensate any of the el- elderly people. You know who wound up recompensating them? Whole Foods supermarket, who, by the way, they're out there without the power themselves. They lose thousands of dollars, but they reach out to their neighbors, the elderly people, as did Northeastern, um, and they give them all these grocery bags for free. Really? NSTAR? I didn't know. No, we, we, we're not required to do so. Have them file a claim. Or the tens of thousands of dollars that restaurants lost. They were really the ones that were really affected. Sure. I mean, and businesses. I mean, you know, big, the big businesses. So we had a we had a hearing on it. They came in and they basically told us that there was, you know, there was no redundancy um, since the last um, shutdown. And the second shutdown came because there was no redundancy. And it was a computer broke. And it was quick. And But, you know, in the middle of the day, how many businesses had to say goodbye to people who came in and, and you know, and cancel out their checks. And oh, absolutely. I had Steve DiFilippo on. I mean, basically, they kept serving, you know, at Davio's, but those people all walked out without paying. I mean, you know, they had no way to computerize. I mean, some people left some money on the table, but that that was it. Right. They lost of course they, of did. they yeah. did. Yeah, each time. And, you know, who's accountable? So, yeah, I mean, this is not a good thing. Yeah. Well, Major- let's hammer them. I'm, I'm, we're not done with this. <laughs> Ask NSTAR to come in. Yeah, I, I've tried. <laughs> they, 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 they said that the last time they came in, I gave them a hard time. Really? You? Come on. <laughs> yeah. <Never>. So. <laughs> All right. So, my gosh, yesterday, that, that stabbing um, yeah. right near the Parker House, or right outside the courthouse, really, they, 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 the judge delayed the trial today. But, I mean, you know, did they have the weapons in the courtroom? Did they have them stashed outside? I mean, there's a lot of detail about that. So there's this murder trial going on um, of a young woman, and four of the witnesses were stabbed, one within an inch of his or her life. They're not really releasing too much detail, but I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's a concern. I mean, you know, the, the the problem is is that Boston is very insulated from what happens. You know, it's it, it gets more concerned about what occurs, where it occurs, as opposed to that's what true. actually occurs. So there it was in downtown. So once it's in, in downtown hotel district. or in, in, the, you know, yeah. in the East Fenway, I guess they, they moved, they drove over to the East Fenway and they yeah. kind of spilled out into yeah. that neighborhood. You know, people people get concerned. But, but people need to be concerned that this type of thing is happening all the time, all the time, all across our city in different places and in low numbers. You know, our, our numbers are very good in Boston and we're a very safe community. And well, Stabbing um, four people all at one time is a little unusual. But it absolutely is something that's alarming. And what happens in the middle of downtown, in the middle of the day, that's a concern. But, you know, 
it, you know, that was it wasn't like a blitz stabbing. These people no. were known to each other, and it just was, the desperation yeah. is, you know, to, to 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 do that kind of thing. You know, who, who knows? You're trying to kill somebody who was testifying against them, and now they're going to end up in jail. I mean, you know, no, absolutely, like, as the, you know, as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because that's that goes to the heart of you know intimidating mm-hmm. witnesses and intimidating people who are. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Talking yeah. to Boston City Councilor Mike Ross, continuing with our theme here. The satellite dish ban oh, in yeah. Eastie. That's, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, Sal you, you Lamantina like is hot on that. Sal has been hot on that for a long time. Sal Lamantina has been talking about the littering and the, it's you know. awful. And in the historic districts, in places like Beacon Hill and, you know, Back Bay, you don't see those because they're protected by their historic yep, groups. Yep, exactly. But in There's not a lot else, of dishes in the Back Bay anyway. Most people have cable. I don't of, know what the issue is. But they cable. can have the dishes, but they have to be in the back. Yeah, exactly. In the back bear. They have to be hidden from the right. thing. But with these other dishes in other neighborhoods in Dorchester, I mean, they could care less. Yeah. They walk up and they put the ladder up. They drill they, a they, hole they, through your house. In the middle of your house, yeah. they drill the thing in. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Sal was – he wasn't being petty or no. – I mean, he's absolutely dead on. So now they created a rule that – it it you it has to be not seen from the street. It has to be the back of the house. But they also don't remove if if if, if apartment turns over, you know, seven times in three years, they've got seven dishes yes. on the house. And they don't remove they the don't old remove ones. Them. But now this new one has a provision where when they re up service, they have to clean the front of the house of their old dish. So he did some good work on that. That that took some time and that it's a new law and we just passed it yesterday and, and bravo to, to Sal and his efforts and also uh, the committee it was in. It was um, Matt O'Malley's committee. Yep. So um, speaking of the mayor and some of his you know, grudges and uh, <laughs> personal peccadilloes, Don Chaparro, who's been at odds with him for low many years, 10, 12, I don't know, he's formally withdrawn his uh, proposal to build this sky rise essentially – over the aquarium garage. I mean, is that a good thing? And do you think the two of them will finally come to some kind of agreement about this? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, again, I, good development should should not be about personality. It should be about good development. Um, I think the problem with Don, regardless of what's happened with his relationship with the mayor, is he has not had a good relationship with the people who would have to ultimately look at this thing every day. And so he's got to work with those neighbors down there on the, the uh, India Row Wharf and that area, the downtown, mm-hmm. kind of those towers that are down there. Um, and come up with something that works for them. And I think, you know, had he have a little more, had he had a little more traction in that area, yeah. he could have maybe. I so think he I, wants to make it happen. At this yeah, point. and he should. I mean, that's important to get to develop our waterfront and to create jobs and to get new development in our city. Um, we can't say no to good development, but you know, his his first proposal, I think, was a little bit a little bit out there. And finally, today with. Boston City Councilor Mike Ross, I can't have you leave here without asking you about the food trucks. How come we don't have any food trucks out here in Brighton, for heaven's sake? You know, it would be it's perfect to have them right there. Right Grossman's there. Outlet. Park yeah. right in Grossman's. Exactly. Well, they're, they're here. They're great. And then, you know, it's not only on the food trucks, but the Boston Common. I mean, that brand new park, um, the uh, Fountain. It has, yep. a, it has a food truck sitting right yeah, outside yeah, of it, and now they're playing chess out there. Yeah, yeah, cute. And it looks like what, that trip we took to New York about now three years ago to Bryant Park. Yeah, I remember when There's you did that. All kinds of stuff. All of that has now come to the common. It's those things that we set out to create. Those little special spaces, the umbrellas, the you know the public gatherings, chairs that people can move around and put wherever they want. Um, uh, the food trucks. I mean, all those things have have been achieved now in a matter of short period of time, and I think we're they're well executed. And they're, they're they're doing well. You know, to to Mr. Selko's point, which we started, can we do more of that and have more fun with that? Sure, but uh, we're well on our way. All right, Boston City Councilor Michael Ross, thanks for that all things Boston check in. Thank you, Emily. Good all to right. see you. Up next, despite a big uptick for the stock market yesterday, there are those who fear we're on the brink of yet another major economic downturn. We'll ask. Economic heavyweight Bob Posen, what he thinks. You're listening to the Emily Rooney Show from 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. This program is on WGBH thanks to you and Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates, offering complete health care for you and your family. With 21 locations across greater Boston, Harvard Vanguard welcomes new patients and accepts most insurance. CareMadeEasy.org, an affiliate of Atrius Health. 
And Basic Black, provocative commentary by local voices, provides a fresh examination of the black experience. Your world, our world, unscripted. Watch Basic Black Friday night at 7.30 on WGBH2. And the growing number of WGBH sustainers who manage their contributions to public radio with the help of monthly installments and automatic renewals. Learn more about the ease of sustaining membership at WGBH.org. The WGBH Economy Report, Friday during Morning Edition. A couple of Cambridge companies are gaining ground with their regenerative medicine technology, which uses living cells and other natural materials to promote healing. A partnership between Xconomy.com and 89.7 WGBH. From the Xconomy Newsroom in Kendall Square, this is Greg Wong for WGBH Boston Public Radio. Hi, my name's John, and I'm a WGBH sustainer. Sustainers like John break their gifts down into monthly installments that automatically renew. That helps 89.7 plan better, and better plans mean fewer fundraisers. And that's why John is responsible for this hour of programming coming to you fundraiser-free. Thanks, John. Support WGBH as a sustainer online at WGBH.org. Celtic music, best enjoyed with friends. Join me on Saturdays at 3 with the Celtic Sojourn on 89.7 WGBH. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. Okay. It might be a relatively sunny day outside, but they are back. The dark clouds of economic uncertainty as the Greek economy continues its slow-motion meltdown. Now Spain says it may have caught the euro debt contagion. Coupled with that, the dismal U.S. jobs report last week. Suddenly, the specter of another recession is back with a vengeance. Here to help bring some order to a very messy economic picture picture is our financial guru, Bob Posen. Welcome, Bob. Glad to be back, Emily. So, So... Yesterday, the Dow went up about, I don't know, what was it, 275 points, and today it's up about 80. So it, it did kind of equal out all the losses of last week, and I guess we're slightly back in positive territory because we had actually wiped out all the gains of the year uh, as of last week. But it's still incredibly volatile. And is it all because of what's going on in Europe? Well, I think it's mainly what's going on in Europe. People are very afraid that the whole euro is going to explode. Uh, and uh, lots of companies in the U.S. that export to the Europe are worried about what's going to happen. But I'm pretty clear about this. Greece is not going to make it. Greece is going to get kicked out of the euro as soon as the rest of the euro figures out how to bolster Spain's banks. And they're going to do that. They're going to recapitalize the Spanish banks because Greece is only 2 percent of the euro area. Germany is willing to let Greece go. Uh, They weren't six months ago, but they are now. And a lot of the politicians in Greece are really making it very easy to get kicked out because they're saying, oh, don't worry, uh, you know, we can uh, not do this financial discipline thing and the euro won't do anything. The euro will. But they're worried about the contagion to Spain. Spain Why is Spain in such tough shape, and they, they can't they can't lend because it's, they're. It's over- not a deficit problem. Spain's deficit to GDP is actually lower than Germany's. It's that they had, like our housing bubble, almost as bad, mm. and so their banks overlent to uh, the housing sector, and there are big losses in their uh, uh, banking sector. I've heard estimates anywhere from you know thirty billion to one hundred and fifty billion. I don't know what what it will take to recapitalize. What Spain is trying to do is to get the Euro Stability Fund, which has five hundred billion in it, to lend directly to its banks. But the way that system so is, that it could get back into the lending business, right? It yeah. doesn't want to get in between. But the way Germany wants it, and the way the system is set up, is the stability facility lends to the country, which then lends to the banks. But that's difficult for Spain because Spain is really already having real big problems in the debt markets. This is all going to get resolved. Uh, There's uh, a number of meetings this month and it will be slow and it will be painful. The markets were up because they sensed that for the first time, Germany is willing to cut Spain 
a better deal. Mm. And to get it done with Spain. Why, why are you so certain they'll, they'll, they'll kick Greece out? I mean, Greece is, it's, I mean, they're, they're teetering. I mean, they've got 22 percent unemployment. You know, they, people don't pay their taxes. I mean, if they go back <laughs> well, to the drachma. Are you, you, why aren't you sure that? <laughs> I mean, the, the, I, I answer, mean the answer is because, A, Greece is not important. It's only 2 percent. B is they're flaunting the rest of the euro. Remember, that political party of the left there is saying, don't worry, we don't have to do all this stuff. They won't kick us out. That that sort of uh, public rhetoric is really incendiary. And um, I think the third is that if you look carefully at the deal with Greece, they can't possibly make it work. The deal that they made involved them having to run a surplus, budget surplus every year, and they're not even close. So I, it's a, every financial analyst would agree that the deal with Greece is unsustainable uh, in the long run. So it's only a matter of time before they get kicked out, and uh, it's only the contagion problem that's kept them in there. Do you think they focused on the wrong thing, this whole austerity measure and deficit reduction? Should they have done something else? Well, what you want is a combination of long-term fiscal discipline and short-term some stimulus. And that's the hard thing to sort of get get yourselves around. And then the third component is you really need labor reforms and tax reforms. So I think uh, the problem has been it's all been austerity, austerity, and no no growth at all. And that's really hard for people in places like Greece and Spain, and that's why you have the, the riots. But uh, I think – you know, you got to get that fiscal discipline in the long term. And if you really have that in the long term, you lock it in the statutes, you get pension reform, labor reform, tax reform, then I think people would be willing to cut Greece and Spain more slack. And I think you'll see that the euro uh, zone will cut Greece, uh, cut Spain much more slack than Greece because Spain, Spain's relatively uh, trying real hard to get things in order. So if you're right and this is solved, let's say, by the end of the summer, um, does that sort of change the forecast in terms of – I mean, I don't know where – I said I'd flat out ask you, I mean, if we're headed for an – Well, I think it does – Falling off another okay. economic cliff here or not. Well, whether it will be solved by the summer, it seems that the euro does at the minimum necessary to, to get to the next step. So it will be solved hopefully by the end of the year. But then the problem is the U.S. Com, uh, confronts the fiscal cliff at the end of the year where uh, the Bush tax cuts expire and a lot of spending cuts automatically come in unless Congress resolves the problem. So far, Congress has not shown itself very uh, – And they won't do it until after the election probably. Yeah, nothing will happen until after the election. But then the question will be, are they going to wait till December 31st? Are they going to actually try to get this thing together or are they just going to push it over to next year? If – we have all the Bush tax cuts expire. And remember, two-thirds of them are for middle class and working class people. And if we have the automatic spending cuts come in, we will have a, a real uh, difficult uh, recessionary period for 2013. So hopefully that threat will get Congress to make a deal uh, in December and uh, a deal that combines uh, spending cuts, long-term entitlement reform with – uh, some revenue raising. You know, each side doesn't want to do it. But uh, the, the threat of what would happen to the economy in 2013 if they do nothing, hopefully will get people to agree on something. Talking to Bob Posen, Chairman Emeritus of MFS Investment Management. Things were seem to be humming along here with the uh, U.S. economy anyway until that May jobs report. What What happened there? Well, I think most people feel like the, the jobs numbers in the winter were a little better than expected because the weather was so good. Mm, maybe. And so you sort of had a little uh, shifting uh, from uh, the, you know, to the, to the winter. Winter months were looking better, which sort of took away some of the possible job growth. But I, I think that the key point for hiring is uh, business uncertainty. People are very uncertain uncertain about what's going to happen in the eurozone, what's going to happen in uh, the U.S. at the fiscal cliff. Businessmen like to see things that are certain for two or three years. Actually, they're pretty good at dealing with the situation even if it's not great. They'll, if it's certain, then they can adapt. 
we have too much uncertainty mm. across the world. That makes it hard for people to hire. Uh, they don't like to hire and expand when there's a lot of But there had been expansion in hiring. There was. It appeared people, that way. People anyway. were feeling optimistic and there was some hiring and you know, people had been stretched out pretty far. But some people believed that the euro would resolve. You know, these guys would get it together and resolve it. So I don't think that's happened. Mm. And I don't think people focused on the fiscal cliff till quite recently. So unfortunately, by the time you resolve the euro, we'll be at the fiscal cliff. So uh, I wish I could give you a more optimistic uh, yeah. scenario. <laughs> so this whole deal last month when uh, J.P. Morgan um, – the CEO, Jamie Dimon, disclosed that they, his bank had lost $3 billion on this trade that was – he now terms an egregious mistake. But the trade was intended to hedge you know, against risk but actually increase the risks. Now, this is all where this Volcker rule comes into play. Will that be reinstituted and in, in, enforced in a way that that kind of investment could not happen again? I actually think the answer is no. Uh, there's at least one regulator who's already said that he thinks that what J.P. Morgan did would have come within the hedging exception for the Volcker Rule. The Volcker Rule, uh, remember, is a very complex rule. It bans proprietary trading, meaning trading for a bank's own account, but it has exceptions for market making, underwriting, and hedging. Now, in this case, you saw two things. One is it's really difficult to hedge against certain sorts of risk. They were trying to hedge against the general euro bond risk. If you try to hedge against, say, IBM stock, it's easy. You just short the stock. But when you have these very complicated things, you don't really have direct hedges. What you have is proxy hedges, meaning rough uh, uh, mm -hmm. approximations. And in this case, what they chose wasn't a very good uh, approximation. The second of all, as Jamie Dimon says, it was poorly executed. So, you know, even with the Volcker rule, which will be adopted, there will be these exemptions, these exceptions, and this one, hedging, is definitely going to be in there. How it will be interpreted, that's probably the big debate. Do we mean by hedging, very specific hedging against a particular security, or do we mean by hedging, hedging against the general risk of interest rates or euro blow-up? That's a very, you might be thought of as a very different sort of hedging. It might be thought of as macro hedging. So we don't know. There was a 300-page proposal that went out to uh, get comment on how the Volcker Rule should be interpreted. So the Volcker Rule will be adopted. Is already in the statute. But the real question is how these uh, exceptions will be interpreted. In other words, there'll be a, round, a way around it. Um, talking to Bob Posen, uh, Chairman Emeritus of MFS Investment Management, you had a uh, piece on the op-ed page in the Wall Street Journal on Monday in support of VC philanthropy, something I'd actually never heard of. Describe it. Well, right now, uh, a lot of startup companies have a hard time raising capital because the VC community and, say, the big drug companies become a lot more risk-averse. So the question is, can a foundation, let's say an Alzheimer's foundation, would they be allowed to buy stock in a private commercial for-profit venture that was trying to create uh, – Alzheimer's therapies. This has been a lot of uh, legal uncertainty around this question. I'm Is not it illegal right now to do that? So I actually believe uh, that it is – the better view would be that it, it's legal now subject to certain conditions. I wrote a piece a few months ago arguing that. But the good news is that Treasury in May put out a proposal confirming that if you followed certain conditions, that it would be legal. And the conditions are reasonable. One is the the stock investment has to further your charitable purpose. And second of all, you've got to monitor it. And 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 when you think about it, it's it's a really good idea because if you are a foundation in Alzheimer's and you give a say a hundred thousand dollar grant to a a researcher in a university and uh, you, you have – you know, maybe it will work out and maybe it won't. If you give it to – It could be a risky investment. <laughs> it could, well, if you give it – let's say you give five $100,000 grants to five universities. But if you gave – if you bought five $100,000 stock shares in five different companies, then you might actually 
get a better result. And here's the key. Foundations always have trouble, they, you know, renewing themselves and keeping themselves yeah, financially viable. Yeah. If one of those five hits a hits home a, run, yep. then it goes back to the endowment. Yeah, it doesn't right. go to the donor. Got it. So, so it's a great deal. And people have to realize this is not like the Harvard Portfolio Endowment. That's not what we're talking about. This would count as a grant. Mm. Remember that foundations have to give away 5% of their assets ah, every year. So it counts. It counts as a grant if it's a program, what's called a program-related investment that fulfills the charitable purpose. And it would make money. That's interesting. All right. Before you go, i got to ask you about the casino proposal here in Massachusetts. We got had this rollout this week, the Suffolk Downs proposal. But um, Sheldon Adelson, who was one of the big investors early on, has basically said he doesn't think that three casinos are sustainable here in Massachusetts. He's kind of like taking his cards off the table. What do you think of that? It, 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 it looks – it's looking more to me like there won't be three, but do you, would you agree with that? I would say given how many casinos there are now in Connecticut and the various things that have happened in Rhode Island and happening in all the states, three is pushing it. Uh, I don't know what the viability is, but uh, I think it might be more sensible to start with two and see if yeah, it can the be. The Indians and one other. Yeah, because um, – if you look across the country, there are lots of these casinos that are really suffering Including now. Caesars is $22 billion in debt, and they're the ones coming in to invest here. Yeah, Hope the, they're not counting on us to bail them out. <laughs> <laughs> the people who are doing the best, they're people in Macau. Is that uh, right? <laughs> but then they have the whole Chinese mainland coming down to gamble, and we wow. don't have that. All right, Bob Posen, Chairman Emeritus of MFS Investment Management. Thanks so much for being with us. Take care. Bye-bye. Up next, the seas are on top of the world right now, but former Celtic Chris Heron won't ever forget when he hit rock bottom. He joins us to talk about his new effort to ensure kids in our area don't go through what he went through. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show from 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Funding for our programs comes from you and Antiques at Elm Bank, this weekend at Elm Bank Reservation in Wellesley, offering over 125 antique dealers and an Antiques Are Green Children's Festival. Information at antiques at elmbank.com. And Ellis Insurance. Ellis Insurance has been a very successful local insurance company. Dan Frankel, principal. And by sponsoring... WGBH, we're able to get our message out to a much larger audience. We work with clients across New England, New York. It's really extended our reach. To learn how WGBH can benefit your business, visit WGBH.org slash sponsorship. On the next Callie Crossley show, White Lies, Truthiness, and Straight Up Dishonesty. In his new book, Dan Ariely looks at our capacity for dishonesty and honesty. He says lying can be contagious. It can also be short-circuited. Some of us tell white lies to spare someone's feelings. Others spin full-blown fabrications to mislead others. But Ariely says the people we deceive the most are ourselves. He'll try to keep us honest today at 1 on WGBH. Staying informed. The issue now is whether states must also follow the Second Amendment. Asking questions. What has actually gone on at the White House today? Trying new things. Try this. Star Wars in concert. It all matters. Makes a difference. An impact. On me. My family, my friends. My neighbors. The whole community. So, I chip in. I'm happy to give. I support WGBH. And you know that. That makes me responsible. That makes me responsible. That makes me responsible for radio that really matters. Great question. That is a great question. And that's a great question. It's a great question. What a great question. On Fresh Air, you'll hear unexpected questions and unexpected answers. This afternoon at 2 here on 89.7 WGBH. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. It was about this time last year here on The Emily Rooney Show that we first met a former Boston Celtic guard whose basketball career came to a screeching halt. And when heroin abuse took over his life, Chris Heron recounted his descent into hell and recovery in the book Basketball Junkie, and he traveled around the country talking about it. Now he's taking it one step further, dedicating his time and energy into making sure kids in our area don't repeat his story. Project Purple 
is his effort to rescue kids from the ravages of substance abuse, and he joins me now to talk about that and more. Welcome, Chris Heron. It's good to be here. Thank you for having good. me. Well, we got to talk about the Celtics first. I mean, <laughs> what, I mean, did, there was a lot of naysayers. Yeah, you know, we, I know. We can we can we'll name names later, but a lot of naysayers saying they couldn't get a game off the Heat, and now here they are up three two. They have the better team. I mean, the Heat is only there's only two guys on that basketball court for the Miami Heat. So. And the Celtics have been there and done that. You know, they're experienced. Doc Rivers is a great coach. And they can chop that court up into pieces, you know, and they make it very difficult for, the, for those two guys, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, to kind of get comfortable. And they make it very uncomfortable for them. What about there's all this talk on this guy. Is it LaBosch? I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Chris Bosch, yeah. Chris Bosch, when he came back, that, that, that it was going to be insurmountable. He only played for like 14 minutes, whatever. I think big mistake by the coach. They should have played him more. Um, they didn't play him in the second half that that much, but he uh, he could make a difference. He could make a difference, but I think the Celtics. You, you know, think they, they'll win tonight? I, I mean, do. Uh, I do. I think do. they're experienced. You weren't like on the edge of your seat the other night. I thought, oh, this doesn't. This isn't going well. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat for my son. He's the big oh, fan. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, that's yeah. cute. How old is he now? Thirteen. Yeah. Mm. So he's just like into it. Well, you must be too. Come on. I am, but I, I root for the guys, not so much the team. I mean, I'm always going to be a Celtic. Yeah, I'm, what year were you? Um, I was 2000 yeah. with Patino. Yeah, with Rick Patino. Yeah. Whatever happened to Rick Patino? Rick Kentucky, Pat- and what happened to him? Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. yeah. He likes the horses. Isn't that Kentucky? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was at Kentucky, and now he's at Louisville. I got it. I yeah, got yeah, it. I got yeah. it. Oh, all right, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> all right, Project Purple. We talked about this uh, on the TV show um, I don't know, it was about a couple months ago, right? Yeah. It was the night of Project Purple. April 24th. So tell people what it is. Project Purple, you know, I started a nonprofit organization almost a year ago. And because I saw the effect that Chris Mullen, who played in the NBA for many years, had on me when he reached out and said, I know you have no money, I know you have no resources, but I'm in a position to help. And they sent me away for six months. And in that six months, I was able to heal, recover, and reconnect with my family. What kind of a facility did you go to? I went to a treatment center in, in New York. And, um, and then I went on to, to Gosnold in Cape Cod. And I saw what treatment could do for, for, for a family. So I wanted to be that. I wanted to be a guy who could help and give back. So I started this nonprofit. And through that process and, and with the book coming out and the ESPN 30 for 30, I, I, I've received a lot of speaking requests. So mm-hmm. I travel the country, and um, I see the kids in school. There's a need for something. You know, I know they have students against destructive decisions, but everybody tells me, you know, those clubs are the kids who really don't need it. You know, we need a club for the kids who really need it. Um, so Project Purple is, is something to raise awareness, to, to know, to, to get kids to uh, be comfortable with who they are, you know, never have to change themselves. Um, are you are you reaching out to kids who have already dabbled in some kind of substance abuse or aren't there yet? Or what's the age group? Um, it's, there, there is no age limit yeah. in this process. You know, I just left Weymouth Middle School, seventh grade. I spoke at a, I spoke at a school this year where a seventh and eighth grader were, were found overdosed in their bedroom. Mm. You know, they they passed away. Um, really? Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean. You know, in the state of Massachusetts, two people die a day of a, of a drug overdose. Mm. In the state of Massachusetts, uh, the average length of treatment for a heroin addict or opiate addict is four days. So Four days? Four days. Well, that's not going to work, right? It's not going to work, and it's inhumane, mm. you know, and that's what this cause is all about. It's because just, it's cold turkey or... Yeah, I mean, by the time you get put on the street, you're still, you're yeah. still sick. Um, did, you, did you go through methadone treatment? I did not. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a believer in it. I don't... You know, I, I, it works for some people, but for me, I just wasn't, I didn't want to go down that road. So, you know, I, I was on a detox program for five days and then I dropped off and that was it. And I went away to treatment for six months. Mm-hmm. And what kind of treatment did they give you? You know, 12 steps, meetings, yeah. uh, this, this, you know, individual treatment, all the good stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the good stuff that kind of allows you to uh, tell on yourself and kind of you know, uh, relieve your soul of, of the guilt. Why did it work for you when, uh, let's face it, I mean, we've talked about this before, Chris. I mean, yep. a lot of people, once they're into heroin, I mean, that is basically it. They, they'll, they'll, they'll get off it, but they eventually go back. Why is it working for you? You know, I think that we, well, you have to look at the length of treatment that people are given. So, I mean, so people will say, you know, 
you, heroin addicts, the, the success rate is, is very, very small, but they don't get a chance to, to heal. You know, I mean, who can do it in four days? And then go back on the street and go back to your regular work? And, it can't. Yeah. It's impossible. You've caused too much damage in 10 years to heal in four days. Never mind physically, but emotionally, spiritually. There's a lot of things, aspects that you have to, you know, receive treatment for. So, you know, my thing is is to, to raise awareness, um, to get out in front of the kids, educate, educate the kids, but also help out the addict who's struggling. Yeah, how do you do that? So if you're you're saying, hey, it took you six months, yeah. how, 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 how do you help kids now beyond the four-day limit? I write them a check and wow. I send them away. I, I have relationships with treatment centers all over the country, mostly in the Northeast. Um, you know, a great relationship with Gosnold in Cape Cod who, who does wonders for me. Uh, and we, you know, we scholarship people in and they get anywhere between 30 and 90 days. So that's what it's all about. You know, it's all about just giving somebody a chance. The I, guy I, who helped you, did you ever feel you had to repay him or did you repay him? I just repay him one day at a time. I was just with him at the Emmy Awards. Oh. Uh, Chris Mullen, he's a Hall of Fame Chris basketball Mullen. player. He was in the original Dream Team member. But me, him, and Johnny McEnroe went out um, after the Emmy really? Awards. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he looked at me and he said, I just can't believe that four years ago I picked up a phone hoping that you would take my, my offer to go to treatment and look at you today. So... It must be nice. It must be nice to look through his eyes to see someone who he helped in that in such a way. So, that's my goal. You know, my goal is to uh, to be to have that lens. Now, do you know anything about your success rate? Do you know anything about the kids who you've been able to help? Of course. Um, you know, we've helped out hundreds. Uh, you know, I you know you speak at schools and hundreds of emails come in after every event. Um, what kind of things do they ask you? Oh, we just had a kid that was threatening suicide over email. Um, so we had, to, we had to notify the people at the school to kind of get the kid into the office. Um, but they talk about their parents a lot. You know, most of the time it, the kids are kind of purging. They're, they're letting themselves go about what they're dealing with in their home. Um, not many kids are willing to tell on themselves yet, but they'll tell about the things that they had to grow up with. So for me, it's humbling because... You know, when, you, when a police officer walks into school and gives you the talk on substance abuse, no, no, no girl or boy who's 15 years old is going to tell on their parents, say, my, my dad and my mom are doing drugs. But for me, they do that. And, and, uh, and not so much that they're looking for a response. They're just looking for somebody to, to hear them. And, and for me, that's, that's an amazing experience. You know? mm. So that's interesting. So a, a number of kids say that their parents sure. have some kind of substance abuse, whether it's alcohol or some Absolutely. other kind of drug. Or... Mm-hmm. 25 million people in America, I mean, so struggle with substance abuse. That's a lot of, you know, that's a high number. And when you say two, three people in a family, you're at 75 million. I mean, it's a lot of people touched by this. And kids nowadays, you know, they have it much tougher than I did, than you did. Um, you know, there's Adderall, there's Ritalin, you know, the, the opiates, the painkillers are much stronger today than they were when we were kids. The marijuana is stronger. It's sad. And these kids are getting hooked at a very, very young age. So I asked you and then interrupted you about, um, kids going through the program. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are young. I mean, do, do, do you know if it has worked? I mean, do you have any idea of what the success rate is? You know something, the success rate... I know it works because of the emails I receive, but I think we'll know in five years. Yeah. You know, I think it's when, when that kid writes it, types up, and that's why I do it, you know. I do it because um, those emails come through. Like I, I spoke at a, a high school where a girl tried to raise her hand and ask a question in front of all her students, 1,600 kids, and the kids around her told her to shh and put her hand down. So she kind of got intimidated and dropped her hand. She then sent me an email saying, Mr. Heron, I was the girl who wanted to ask the question. My question wasn't about substance abuse. It was about bullying. My dad's a drunk. My mom lost her job two years ago. I've been wearing the same school clothes to school for two years, and kids make fun of me for it. They've put me on Facebook. They talk about me. And I can't find uh, heroin or cocaine or anything like that yet. Uh, but what I do find is a razor blade, and I'm a cutter. And I've cut myself every day after school because of this pain. And that's huge in schools, especially with kids. And she told me she was scarred from her wrist to her bicep. I know, that's a whole thing. Yeah, and she thanked me, and she said, you know, Mr. Heron, you sharing your story gave me the courage to share mine. 
And I, I talked to somebody about it, and I went to school, and I confronted those kids, and they haven't said a word to me since, and I have 26 months clean from cutting now. So, Did you help her out financially? No, 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 because she was, she was in school, and she didn't go to treatment. But um, it's just the open it's, – it's the raw honesty of my story, I believe, that gives courage, kids the courage to tell theirs you know, because they haven't gone as far down as me yet. So they feel like, I can't shock this guy. You know, so let me tell them. And those are the moments that I do it for right there, you know. Project Purple, it's local right now? Are you trying to take it? It's It's, national? It's national. It's national. We had 300 high schools go purple this year on April 24th. We had like 50 college campuses. Clear Channel Outdoor Boston has been amazing for us. There's 50 billboards placed throughout the state of Massachusetts. Um, You know, we're working with different companies trying to launch this. how do, you, how do you fundraise? Or do you have corporate backing? What are you doing? We have some corporate Pharmaceutical backing. companies? No, no, no. <laughs> we stay away from the pharmaceutical companies. Um, you know, we have corporate, some corporate backing. Uh, most of it's private and through my speaking engagements. So, But you know something? At the end of the day, the Heron Project, Project Purple, no matter how much money we have, I'd, I'd pay out of my own pocket for someone to get help. I mean, that's the reality of it. I know what it's like to be down. Yeah, and there was a point when you spent every dime that, yeah. and more. And more. And more. I yeah. remember that story. Yeah. It's all told in your book, too. Mm-hmm. All right, so where are you and your son going to be watching the game tonight? You know something? I am speaking at an event in Shrewsbury tonight. Oh. Um, so I will be home around the second half, and well, I'm sure okay. my that's son will enough. be there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's good enough. I, in fact, I have a hard time watching the whole thing because it's just too... Yeah. So I think I'm going to tune in at about halftime myself. I, I think all sports should be cut in half. <laughs> really? I think they're too long and too boring. Yeah, I think baseball would, be, crazy. baseball would be perfect if it was four innings. I know. You go out to play you know, two or three sets of tennis. The game has started. By the time I finish driving home, it's still on three and a half hours later. I know. I That's know. crazy. All right, Chris Heron, thanks so much for coming. Oh, no worries. You're Project the best. Purple. Thank I you. appreciate it. All right. All right. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back tomorrow at noon with our spin on the news of the week. Suffolk Downs unveils its plans to create an urban oasis for gamblers. And Elizabeth Warren and Scott Brown prepare to finally face off. Well, that and more. Stay with us now for the Callie Crossley Show coming up next. Who lies more often, men or women? She's got the answer to that and more as she goes one-on-one with one of the foremost lying experts. And tonight on my television show, Greater Boston, we're looking at some new development in Roxbury they're very excited about. That's done at 7 on Channel 2. The Emily Rooney Show is a production of WGBH Radio. On the web at WGBH.org, Boston Public Radio. I'm Emily Rooney. Have a great afternoon. Well, you know that it's got to take a lot of poise to deal with those big three boys. Pierce, Allen, and Garnett saying, Rondo, why haven't you given me the ball yet? But you can't intimidate Rajan. He's in charge. He's got it going on. He knows how to handle the ball. He's not afraid of Steve Nash or Chris Paul. He's the best point guard in the league. He doesn't need the big three. He doesn't need Rashid. He's Rondo. His name's Rajan and he's got it going on. Rondo.